Progressive Rugby League. Again, John O'Duncan here for another trundle through the Rugby League Wilds. Well, we've covered a lot of ground over the past few weeks on the Progressive Rugby League podcast. We've visited the south of France, Merci, Rodolphe and Cedric. We've got a taste of New Zealand Rugby League culture, cheers Olsen Filipina via Patrick Skeen, and transported ourselves to the industrial north of England of the past. Thank you, Tony Collins, and present, good on you, Adam Hills. Well, enough of our gallivanting around the world. After all, tis the season of the staycation. It's high time we tended to our own backyard or garden and checked in on some friends closer to home. The Newtown Jets are not just any run-of-the-mill football club. Thanks to a hard-living history, a roll call of colourful characters, changing demographics and the tireless and canny work of a small band of believers, Newtown are the chameleon club, the club that represents everything you want them to be. They're an ideal, a link to a cosy past, a reflection of the modern tapestry, your oldest mate from school, a one-time uni crush, the zany IT guy from work. In an age where rugby league in Australia has been flirting with a cold corporate future, the Jets have reminded us rugby league is a game by the people, for the people, and have made Henson Park a bucket list item for every Sydney rugby league fan. Yes, they brought the authenticity before that word was destroyed by the marketers and the wannabes. Rugby league in Sydney can be a glorious social needle and thread, but it also can be riven with division and disdain. And in an era where the game in Australia is increasingly just another pawn in the tedious culture wars, Newtown brings the good vibes, a sly sense of humour, and a tasty selection of craft and draft beer that puts smiles on dials and, importantly, reminds everyone to relax, brother. But crazy coronavirus times mean the club so many love are in need of a hand, and today we're trying to do our little bit. So without any further ado, let's welcome Newtown Jets General Manager Stu McCarthy to give it to us straight. What's happened? Where are we at? And what can we do to help? Stu McCarthy, welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Oh, mate, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, Jono. But yeah, that was some kind of introduction, so I've got a lot to live up to. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Stu. Obviously, it's been a tough 2020 for Newtown. That's an understatement. And it's sadly ironic because the end of 2019 saw the Jets reach incredible heights, not just in terms of results, but the fairy tale, Hollywood-style way that everything panned out. Now, I want to start off by giving our listeners, particularly overseas listeners, a sense of what the end of 2019 was like for the Jets, because it was literally unbelievable. Now, the Newtown Jets Foundation Club in Australia, born in 1908, they play in the New South Wales State Rugby League competition, which is one of two second-tier competitions that feed into the NRL. In part one of this ridiculous season end, Newtown found its way into the New South Wales Cup Grand Final against Wentworthville. Long story short, it's 14 all at full time. In extra time, they fall behind 15-14. And then, with only two minutes to go, this happens. A kick by McGorley, yes, it finds Phillips on the fly! Back on the inside to Kennedy! He's going to spin away and win the game for Newtown! Oh, they needed something special and they found it! That is an incredible piece of play! Yes, amazing stuff, amazing stuff. We love a chip kick here on the show, and that was Billy Magulius putting in a depth chip that was beautifully regathered for a miracle play. The Jets win 2015. Stu, take us behind the scenes after that grand final victory. What does it feel like to win in those circumstances? 
Mate, it was incredible, but I do have a uh, secret to tell, or something to admit anyway. Um, you know, John O, in my uh, other life, I do love my cricket. Mm. And I was, you know, had the very good fortune uh, last season of coaching the Inner West Harbour under 12 Arch Causey Shield team. <laughs> Beautiful. So I actually wasn't at the game. Wow. Our competition started that particular week, and, and for the two games before that, we'd had trials as well. So in the trials, I was managing to watch the game on the TV, umpiring every second over its square leg. So that was <laughs> yeah. all, all good. But in this particular instance, we had a T20 doubleheader at the ground in Maroubra, and we finished the second game right on full time. So I couldn't bear to even <laughs> watch that game or even get score updates on the phone. I was too nervous. Oh. <laughs> so switch on, and it's 14 all. So then we race out and shake the position's hand I've come back and they've just kicked the field goal yeah so for the last eight minutes of the game I had a, a team of 12 year olds watching me watch the game on my phone so everyone was in a state of panic you know with eight minutes to go because we were down I, like I assured everyone like there's eight minutes to go it's extra time not golden point yeah we're going to be fine so I had this strange sense of calmness that something good was going to happen but yeah. to see how it panned out even remotely was just absolutely incredible you know race to get my son back home home and my daughter as well so I could get to Peter Shamara's cell for the post-game celebrations as quickly as possible. <laughs> I've obviously watched the game repeatedly and, you know, you see the emotions on that coverage of, mm. of what it meant. We just... Yeah, came back from nowhere with that play to kind of win with that kind of play. It was incredible. But what actually transpired after the try, you know, Wentworth Field did a short kickoff and as a result of that got a penalty even though it should have gone the other way. So mm. we actually had to defend that final play to win the game. Mm -hmm. So, And you, you hear the commentators actually say when Tricky was taking the kick at goal that, you know, what's the chance of a short kickoff and Wentworth Field scoring <laughs> a try to win the game after that. So there were a few anxious moments, but when you kind of put on a play like that in a grand final, I think it's fair to say you deserve to come away winners and, yeah. and we did yeah it was a miracle so the Jets are New South Wales Cup champions what a win what a season but Stu as you say there is more now for Northern Hemisphere listeners in Australia the winners of the New South Wales and Queensland Cup competitions those feeder competitions for the NRL they play off in a Super Bowl style fixture on NRL Grand Final Day so in this match they're up against Queensland's best the Burley Bears surely the Jets can't back up their previous week's performance. Everyone knows about the come-down factor. And with a few seconds remaining, they're down 16-14. Brave effort, boys. You're going down with your heads held high. But then this happens. Sorensen will get up and play it. Braley, they've stacked the short side. Kick over the top for Militalo and Ferris. Ferris has got the bounce. Jackson Ferris wow. has got the bounce. He'll score an amazing try. And the Jets will steal the state championship. They were gone. They were gone. Try awarded. The Jets will win. A remarkable, amazing finish to the state championship. Now, I'm pretty sure that's Peter Persaltis from Channel 9 with two excellent calls there. Two chip kicks to win two grand finals in two weeks. Stu, how on earth did that happen? What was that like and how did the celebrations compare? Oh, mate, I'm actually sitting here watching my screensaver, which is Jackson Ferris head-on running towards the try line. It's just one of the greatest photos I've ever seen in my life, and I refuse to change it. Mate, it was just, well, first, just setting the tone. I mean, obviously, winning the New South Wales Cup is the main competition that the players aspire mm. to and what we play in all seasons. So whilst the, the celebrations were tempered after winning that game, you know, that was the real kind of prize, to mm. be brutally honest. So I was worried, even though the boys were very well behaved, 
kept them, you know, we kind of partied hard that night, but they were straight back into it on the Tuesday. Not so much the, the physical toll of the game, but just emotionally trying to get themselves back up to be in a position where they have to then again climb Mount Everest to, you know, to win the state championship. And it's a game that's been played, I think, since 2014. So it's, um, you know, in the first few years in New South Wales, it's a bit like State of Origin. New South Wales really didn't take it as seriously as what they should have. And, mm. and Queensland teams won. But, you know, post that, we've had a very good record and, and some of the games have been very, very lopsided. Yeah. Burley played a couple of years ago against Illawarra and I think, you know, all the cutters and I think they got beaten by 50. So... Yeah. They certainly came down to Sydney, fired up and, and really ready to play. And, yeah, the reality you know, of our team was we lost four guys out of the game from the week before. So whilst we had very able replacements come in, we, we kind of weren't at full strength. Yeah. The game, to be brutally fair, as much as I kind of have loved watching it back and time and time again, it, it, it was a bit of a dour struggle for a large portion of it and we just couldn't find our groove at all. I mean, as I said, they came out absolutely fired up. Yeah, even their training staff were sledging our players like on the field. Right. So it was like, right, okay. And then, you know, we got in at half time and, and Matt I said, look, you know, and it was it was pretty inappropriate really at that level of football for that kind of behaviour. But yeah, Matt our coach said to the guys, look guys, there's only one way we can shut these so and so's up and that's by going out and winning the game. Mm. But we came out in the second half and again for that first twenty minutes was kind of struggling. But yeah, you know, scored a couple of tries and, and got ourselves close enough. But as you said, it was like, oh, well, at least we're going home and we haven't now embarrassed ourselves in the end by getting back to 16-14 and, yeah, seven seconds on the clock. And I was actually, I had the good fortune this time around, you know, I'm the stats man when we kind of play our away games. Mm. So I was in the coaching box and there was one play left and I kind of said to one of our assistant coaches, it's like, you know, who's going to win the game for us? And he's like, "Um, you know, Jackson Ferris. And I said, where the hell's Billy McGoolis? And he's gone the short side on the last play, but again, and just put this kick in and it's bounced sideways and sure enough, straight onto Jackson Ferris's stomach and he's charged away to win and yeah, just this funny, you know, the kind of exaltation on the Newtown players' faces compared to the utter despair mm. of the Burley Bears. It's funny, actually, their CEO rang me last week to belatedly congratulate us on the win. Right. And he was saying, he was in the same boat, he was in the, their box, and one of their assistant coaches with 30 seconds to go got, got his phone out expecting to film, like, the glorious finish for oh. Burley. And it's just, yeah, you see in the photos, because we had a lot of great photos from those moments, and, and just the utter desolation through them and, you know, the utter just absolute joy. And, I mean, we were, we were never going to win that game. Yeah. We were never We were never really in that game. But, you know, last play and the same player, you know, the same kick, it's, it's a one-in-a-lifetime thing, mate. You'll never, ever see it again. I don't think you would have ever seen a major grand final or grand finals, as it turned out two weeks in a row, kind of decided on those kind of plays. Yeah. So just miraculous and oddly enough and it's never going to really be publicised but we played one game at the start of this year against South and he actually Billy we scored a try from the same kick oh really this time it was only 20 metres out but again you know that inside kick out sideways so he's got a great skill set Billy but um, one of just the greatest moments ever and everyone in the Newtown fraternity because it's been such a tough year that you never get sick of kind of watching it because you'll never forget the emotions you felt 
you know, and actually being there this particular time again, it was just like, <laughs> yeah. this is incredible. Now, what did um, it mean for the, the clubs, Stu? Obviously, there are a lot of Newtown supporters, the loyal fans, the casual and fair weather supporters, the rest of it. But you're also kind of a small business, and a lot of you at Newtown HQ have been putting your heart and soul into this club for years and years. Take us into the inner sanctum. What did it mean for you guys? Oh, I just, well, A, it was a giant relief in the end because, again, we'd kind of done what we wanted to do and that was win the Canterbury Cup on New South Wales Cup, whatever it is. And, and we'd won last in 2012 and there's so many coincidences that between those two grand finals. Like we finished seventh mm-hmm. and we played the team that finished eighth in the grand final. Mm. Uh, the run through the finals was identical. So I actually noticed that about a week out from when the final started. And I just, you know, I didn't say it to anyone, but I thought, God, you know, this could pan out. And yeah. sure enough, it absolutely did. But it, it was a real relief to then get the cookies in the state championship because then that meant that the party went on for months, basically. Um, and, and the circumstances in which you know which it was done and on the stage that it was done, mm. yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. And and again, it was just you know, everyone was on you know the highest of highs. But you know, ultimately, what goes up has to come down. So yeah. it's yeah, you know, ironic, John. Like you said at the start of the show, we've gone from you know just the best possible place to just actually having no football and and that happened so quickly let's let's talk about that now i suppose i guess it's a silly question following the end of that 2019 season but how were the jets looking heading to 2020 uh really really good really really good the coaching you know, Matto and the coaching staff are very enthusiastic about the balance of the team that we had we didn't have too many people depart from previous years and that's you know that's the same at Cronulla you know there was only three or four players across 48 that played that weren't going to potentially be available again another good crop of young juniors coming out of the Cronulla under 20s it, it was good to see you know in the first couple of rounds of the NRL guys like Will Kennedy and Sione Katoa and, and Toby Rudolph he's going to be an absolute superstar that bloke you know these guys get a chance at NRL level so we were you know Blake Braley as well we knew we were going to drop a few but we thought we still had a a pretty well balanced team and that was proven in the round one game against South when we just came out and after a bit of a slow start we just blew them off the park and they had a fair side that day so what about um, off off the field as well um I mean obviously the way we won those games has been kind of a massive talking point for rugby league supporters everywhere Mm. yeah just Back to Damien Driscoll from Burley calling me. Like he, he, one of the things he said is like everywhere I go, the minute they realise what club I'm from, the only thing everyone wants to talk about is like, yeah. you know, how'd you lose that grand final? So there was a lot of notoriety and a lot of publicity in and around it. So we were tracking really, really well from a commercial standpoint. All our existing sponsors, you know, stayed on board, and there were people knocking on the door. It, it sometimes we don't have enough properties to actually offer it, you yeah. know, people in terms of the jersey and the playing apparel and whatnot. So I mean, everyone was you know excited at the prospect of, of season 2020. We remember back in 2013 when you win a comp, you know, you've got a massive X on your back. So mm. you know, everyone was going to be coming after us, but we were confident that yeah, we would have been thereabouts when the whips were cracking again. Okay, so we all know what happened in March. Global pandemic, the NRL season is suspended and the second tier New South Wales competition, which Newtown are a part of, is cancelled for 2020. How quickly did this all unfold? Oh, it's funny that you mentioned that. That's one of the, yeah, and everyone in every walk of life is pretty much in a similar boat. But we had our season launch on the 3rd of March. Mm. And again, yeah, it was the biggest, the most well attended launch that I can ever remember. And I've been there quite a few years now. So everyone, you know, was champing at the bit and, you know, still on a high after the emotion of 2019. And there'd been this mention of COVID 19 and coronavirus in the news. So people were aware of something. But. Mm. 
you know, it wasn't even on the you know, in your thought process, really. Everyone yeah. was just enthusiastic about the year ahead and couldn't wait to get back on the park. So then we played our first game on the 15th, I think it was, and the clouds were starting to come overhead then. Mm. And then, you know, having said that, the comp was then cancelled, you know, the following week, not in its entirety. The, the expectation was, well, we need to shut down for a couple of months maybe while hopefully this situation corrects itself. But then, lo and behold, seven days after that, there was the announcement from the New South Wales Rugby League that the competition was cancelled indefinitely and wouldn't be coming back in 2020. And again, this was only two weeks after our first game and four weeks after our launch. So. Yeah. And why, why was the season cancelled and not suspended like the NRL and, and the community game? Um, look, I have to be careful what I say here, Jono, to be brutally honest. I think in reality, the, the Canterbury Cup New South Wales has eight or so NRL clubs that you know compete directly as their own teams yeah. in, in this competition. It was becoming apparent that from a resources perspective, they were going to be under enormous pressure financially. Right. And I think to one of the things, you know, the New South Wales Rugby League and Queensland Rugby League for all their competitiveness against each other do kind of tend to work pretty harmoniously when it comes to decisions of this nature. Mm-hmm. So I would suspect that there was some communications between them both. Yeah. And I, I just get the feeling that you know, most of the Queensland teams are attached to, to Leaks clubs and if the competitions went ahead and we weren't able to basically have people attending, there was going to be you know, ourselves more than anyone. Yeah. It would have made the financial ramifications of this whole pandemic even worse than you know, the competition actually not going ahead. Right. Can you tell us about Newtown's financial situation following the cancellation of the season? How's everything looking now? I mean, we've undertaken a Keep the Jets Flying membership drive, which is going very well, and we might talk about that a bit later uh, in a bit more detail. Fortunately, the majority of our sponsors are, are sticking with us. Our existing membership base have also been very, very understanding. So, you know, Touching Wood has not been my member that has asked for a refund on their membership this year, which is, you know, admirable. But then in keeping with what we actually suspected, you know, our law members what might be like. But one of the biggest sources of income that the Jets have by virtue of decades worth of hard work mm. establishing Henson Park and the community atmosphere at our games is our game day revenue. Mm. So when you subtract that in its entirety, that's, you know, you're looking at 30% of your revenue for the season. Mm. Then when you've got no grant from the New South Wales Rugby League, that's another massive chunk. Then when you've got your NRL partner in kind of making sure that they're saving every dollar as well, mm-hmm. where you know, a lot of your costs happen at the start of the year that are fixed as well. Yeah. So, yeah, we're doing everything that we can in terms of minimising our spends and, and cutting costs everywhere. I mean, you know, it's only myself and Olga, our executive assistant, that are on the payroll and, you know, we've, you know, I've taken a massive hit mm. to kind of stay on board. The players, we've played the one game, so there's there's money owing to them, which we're kind of paying out next week, and you know, all their sign-ons. So um, it, it's touch and go. It's really touch and go. That's why we've kind of really hit the ground running hard with this membership drive, mm. just to try and get as many dollars in the coffers as we can. I think ultimately... As long as we get back on the park for season 2021, you know, we'll be okay. But I've got grave concerns if the whole COVID-19 and, and social distancing measures extend beyond that. It's really important that we can kind of play footy next year and have the doors open and get the crowds we've been getting. So, yeah. you know, we're just playing it kind of a day at a time, really. Yeah. There's no, if you get too far ahead of yourself, you can 
you know, get to a situation where it's all too hard. But, um, mate, we've been around for 112 years, so we'll survive, but it's not going to be easy. Okay, well, we'll get to how people can help in a sec, but first let's just dial it back for one second. Now, Stu, can you tell us about some of the characters and personalities around the club? If you had to, if you had to describe the Newtown Jets club and community through a couple of people, who would they be and why? Oh, wow, Jono, this is a tough one because we've got a lot of characters in, in our club, that's for sure. That's what makes it such a beautiful place. And we're kind of big enough to be relevant and also still small enough to almost be an extended family. But mm. um, I think one person that defines the place as good as anyone is our Pied Piper of Henson Park, Johnny Trad. He's been in and around the club you know, for decades as well. And yeah, every time we score a try at Henson Park, he gets on his penny farthing and does a lap of the oval. Of course, our ground was yeah. actually the velodrome for the 1938 Empire game, so it's, it's got a kind of almost bike track around the outside of it. So, yeah, and at the end of each lap, there's, you know, 30 or 40 kids running after him. It's just one of the beautiful things you see at Henson Park and nowhere else. He's just, you know, he's a jack of all trades. He's just one of the funniest guys you'll meet. He's part of our, you know, kind of football staff as well. Right. Just, he's mad. He's absolutely mad, but he gets away with it. I mean, for instance, there was uh, during the New South Wales Cup presentation, he actually went up on stage and got a medal from uh, presented to him with the, with the players. And I, I did get a call the next week from you know the hierarchy at New South Wales Rugby League, you know, wishing us all the best for the win. But if I get one thing right at the day, make sure Treddy doesn't get up and get another medal because he'd be in all sorts of strife if he does. But again, you know, he's just got this personality that everyone really is attracted to and, you know, the smile, he smile lights up a room and um, he's such an odd bod, but he's also very intelligent as well. So I think that kind of says a lot about, you know, people that are attracted to, to Newtown um, yeah, in the nice. modern age. Yeah, there's so many hardworking people involved that give way above their time and, and resources. And, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to work with Olga Loricella, who was at the start of the year made our first ever life, female life member, which was well-deserved and, yeah. and fantastic. She puts her heart and soul into the place and everyone loves her as well. And, you know, again, we're, we're fortunate to have some really hardworking, you know, women in, in the club as well. One of our members, Kim Fuller, comes to every training session. She takes out a Royal Blue membership and, you know, that's a lot of money for her circumstances. So, yeah, Olga and Kim are other fine examples of, you know, the kind of people that are involved with the club. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Now, Stu, I have this lingering concern that the NRL in Australia is being used more and more by dark forces, and they know who they are, as a pawn in our ongoing and growing culture wars. That's just my perception, but it seems to me Newtown have this broad appeal, something for everyone. Like I said in the intro, they're whatever people want them to be. The old school bring back the Biff types, love the Jets, the inner city craft beer set, love them too. You're hosting old school legends like Tommy Rodonicus one week and you're celebrating Pride Day the next, and it all seems to work. How have you landed that crossover appeal, do you think? Wow, you're asking the pertinent uh, questions, John. Um, it's an interesting one. First of all, the demographic of where we're based has changed immeasurably in the last two decades. It was in part the reason why we were excluded from the competition you know, back in the, the early 80s. The club was landlocked on every side and the crowds weren't great. It was, you know, Marrickville and 
around those areas were perceived as areas of where there was a lot of new Australians that had come in, you know, from overseas to call Australia home and rugby league wasn't their game. Mm. Socioeconomically, it wasn't a very well-to-do area. So, yeah, we, we ended up getting excluded from the competition in 1983. And I suppose as part of that process, you've got people, I mean, I was 11 years old, or sorry, 13 years old at the time. So growing up, I remember, you know, the Jets and people about my age, you remember them being in first grade. We were never necessarily back in that time one of the more successful clubs, but mm-hmm. you always had a game when you played the Jets, no matter where it was or what year it was or where we were in the competition, we were a club that always gave its all. So there's a lot of romance in the fact that we were excluded from the competition back then and you know obviously that run in 1981 where we made the grand final and you know Tommy was the captain and we kind of had an absolutely fantastic team and we're very unlucky not to win it and we were you know a hard-edged club all the time because we, we weren't one of the rich clubs you've got that romantic appeal kind of looking back with kind of yeah. sometimes rose-colored glasses I suppose so We've been able to kind of really utilise our history and turn that into, you know, a really strong point that people, you know, are attracted to, especially when you mentioned in your intro about, you know, the corporatised world of kind of rugby league and big stadiums where people actually do like suburban grounds and, and the old school on a Saturday afternoon with a beer and a sausage sandwich. Yeah. So that's a base to start with. And then you combine that with... In a Western Sydney now, the economic factors have changed. A lot of families have moved back into the area. You know, some of them are quite you know, reasonably well-to-do. There's not a, a lot of actually open green space. Mm-hmm. So Henson Park is, you know, our venue is unique in in terms of it's probably the biggest natural amphitheatre in Sydney. So we attract that kind of crowd as well because they come down, they can let their kids run around. We've always got, you know, kind of jumping castles and stuff for the kids to do. It's a really family-friendly venue and we've also kind of developed this kind of coolness that comes with being based in the area. Like, you know, Newtown and in the inner west of Sydney, is, it's, you know, it's a really cool place full of really cool people. Um, and, you know, the fact that they gravitate towards us, not necessarily because they're all first and foremost rugby league fans, but they kind of are aware of the story and they are aware of the fact that, you know, we represent the community and pride ourselves on doing the best we can. So part of that community, as you mentioned, we, we did our first Pride and Diversity Day last year to celebrate the fact that we do have a, a lot of fans that are part of that community. So it's not something that we shy away from. It's something yeah. we embrace and, and they embrace us as well. You know, we've, for previous years, we've done the Hipster Day. Yeah, again, having some fun, but also yeah. acknowledging, hey, you're part of, you know, you're part of our tribe, you're part of this area and we're part of this area. And it, it kind of marries up everybody, mm. if you know what I mean. It's like we are inclusive. Everyone's welcome at Henson Park, no matter where you're from, no matter even if you follow another team. Yeah. And again, we're cross-generational. So again, we exploit the fact that we do have such a long history and, you know, there's that fact that we got unfairly treated back in the day, but we're back. So, yeah. you know, Lazarus kind of has risen and he's not going anywhere. <laughs> Well, Stu, there's probably a lot of marketing students right now taking a copious amount of notes from what what you just said just then, so very interesting stuff. Okay, so we know 2019 was a cracking year, 2020 has been a bit of a disaster. What can people do to help? Uh, 
the two best things is you can go to our website, NewtownJets.com, and there's a banner on the homepage saying Keep the Jets Flying and sign up as a Keep the Jets Flying member. We were lucky enough to have another volunteer in the club, Jason Pritchard, put together a 55-minute documentary. We are the champions that go through our year in 2019 in total. It is absolutely must-see viewing, yeah. not just for Jets supporters but for rugby league supporters because, again, as you've alluded to, the, the tale that it tells is just something you'll never ever see again mm. so as part of that package there's exclusive streaming rights to that particular documentary and some other entitlements that go with it um, so that that's one obvious way if you can afford it because you know it, everyone's hurting mate yeah so we're we're cognizant of that so yeah. becoming a member and you know joining through that is, is certainly one way to help and hopefully what you're getting for that's worthwhile as well so we've had a really good response to it thus far but we need to keep driving it throughout the season you can also purchase some merchandise through our website or through our clothing arm they're the two main things that are going to help from a financial perspective but you know if that's out of people's reach if you can just kind of keep us in your your thoughts and prayers and wish us well we'll take that kind of support as well very interesting stuff well, Stu, we're just about out of time, but, you know, I had the day off work during the week, so I wandered down to Henson Park, a venue that, like I say, you guys have made a bucket list item for all Sydney Rugby League fans, and it is a special place, isn't it? It was looking immaculate on this sunny <laughs> Sydney day, if I may say. The surface has never looked better yeah, when we were right. down there yesterday, actually. And I took myself down in front of the King George V grandstand, that very grandstand, that NFL player Manfred Moore defied gravity and his own limitations to throw a football over the top of back in the 1970s. And I started jogging down the race and I entered the field and imagined being in the middle of this sweet cauldron in front of a packed house. I was almost overcome by goose poops. As I said, the grass was the epitome of perfection. And while I'm not one to get into the whole earthing thing, I couldn't resist slipping my size nines off and feeling the green stuff between my toes. So I suppose I just want to end by saying I hope I don't have to do that again to get my Henson Park fix. I hope the Jets will be back in 2021, bringing people together and scoring more cracking tries. Stu, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. A belated congratulations on an incredible 2019. Whatever happens in the future, they can never take that away. But we sincerely hope the Jets are back stronger than ever in 2021. Stu McCarthy, good luck and thanks for joining the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Oh, John, thanks for the opportunity and support. Uh, mate, you're always one of the good guys, so we can't wait to see you at Henson Park in 2021, mate, when we are uh, back with a vengeance. <laughs> good to hear. Thanks, Stu. Progressive Rugby League. Thanks, Stu. What a man of Sydney Rugby League. And of course, we're focusing on Newtown this week. It's my local club, but there would be many local clubs around the country and the Rugby League world who will be needing a helping hand. So keep an eye out and an ear out, and if you can, pitch in for your local club. Before we go, I want to say thanks, as always, for your generous feedback on the pod. I'm really glad you've been getting into the interviews we've been doing over the last month or so. We're very lucky that our subjects have been such great sports and enthusiastic participants. Radio, let's pop a full stop on this one. Keep on trucking, rocking, hip-hopping, whatever floats your boat. Until we meet once more, rugby league hobby, and see ya.